So we were talking about Western Buddhism. One of the things about Asian Buddhism was is that the uh, Buddhism went from country to country, from India into Sri Lanka, to Burma, to Thailand, to uh, Cambodia, South Asia, up into China, into Tibet, on into, and it was, every time it was taken by monks. Mm. Even the Chinese that came to India, they cared so much about what they got out of Buddhism while they were in China that they came to India, became monks, and did a lot of translations. There's a lot of really old translations of Chinese that happened, uh, let us say, that some of the earliest existent writings of particular sutras are done in Chinese. Now, what all of this means is, is that throughout Asia, Buddhism was spread by the Sangha. It was spread by monks. It was spread uh, with small groups that took, let us say, the teacher and several of his students, and they went on Bendabat, and they just kept going Bendabat in to, to the east. So they would wake up in the morning, they'd go out for Bendabat, but they'd always keep going east. What's Bendabat? Uh, Bendabat is actually the word bat or is pot or bowl. And penda is actually for walking. So you're walking with the bowl. Mm. And what that means is uh, uh, in English, they have a really weird word called arms round. Mm. Okay. But it's actually just going out for breakfast. Mm. Okay, and so they would go east. And then when they'd get enough to eat, they would sit down and spend the rest of the day there. And the next morning they'd get up, and when they went for Bendipot, they would still go east. <laughs> and so um, in that regard, uh, Buddhism was spread in a natural way so that the people that were uh, that they were encountering, they were sharing the whole package. Now, uh, Buddhism in the West came with only one one leg to the tripod stool. You can imagine a stool does just not does not sit upright mm. very well. It takes a whole lot of balance if you're missing two of the legs of your stool. Mm-hmm. Western Buddhism is missing two of those legs. Why? Because the only thing that came to the West in the beginning and all that they find there still is just the Dhamma. There are no real good teachers that the teachers that you have in the West are teachers who, let us say an example would be someone goes to Thailand, spends a year or two with uh, Achan Cha, then goes to Burma, spends a year or two, and then he comes back and he builds a great big organization, writes a bunch of books, charges a huge amount of money and calls that Buddhism where, in fact, most of its education was in psychology, not Buddhism. Mm. Okay. Are you familiar this with... Is... Go ahead. Are you familiar with Frank Yang or Daniel Ingram? Uh, Poe. <laughs> Poe, which means yes and no. <laughs> okay. Right. You know that I'm familiar with Dan, that he and I have done three or four videos on 
uh, Guru Vikings. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I remembered yeah. that as I was asking you the question. Um, but okay. are you from? Do you know? Are you aware of Frank Yang? Is that the young um, uh, Asian martial artist uh, weightlifter mm. who yes. jumped all over the place and screams and yes. yelled and that yes. kind of stuff? Yes, I'm familiar yeah. with him. Just enough to say, don't need any of that. Okay. But anyway, let's let's go back to the point that mm -hmm. even with okay, some from the early days, starting with um, Emerson and Thoreau in the 1830s, then you had um, the the opposite, uh, the transcendentalist in the uh, later half of the 19th century, as well as Wilds Davies and I.B. Horner, and the British founding the Polytech Society and going after the language to translate from the Poly into English without knowing either the Poly or the subject matter. And so our translations are very, very rough. Mm. So we've got a very, very low quality Dhamma coming and no good examples. And the missing part is the Sangha. So when Western Buddhism has come to the, or when Buddhism come came to the West, it's more Western than it is Buddhist. Just like mm. Thailand is more Thai than Buddhist. And Tibetan, mm. Tibet is more Tibetan than Buddhist. So it's more but, Western than it is Buddhist because those people that you were talking about that would come from the West and go and stay like at a retreat in Thailand or um, in, or, yeah, in, in Thailand or uh, Tibet, and then mm. they would come back to the West and then write books and they would have someone translate the Pali into English. But that person that translated the Pali, you're saying didn't wasn't Buddhist, didn't know what they were doing. Okay. And now, and they wrote the the, uh, <clears throat> the lexicons and the, the dictionaries, the Pali English dictionary, and so all the modern translators are using bad dictionaries. Mm. And so and there's, why, there's more to it than that. Don't you think it would have been really useful then if the West would just have asked, hey, I'm writing a book and uh, talk to the people that they went to visit at the retreats and ask them? To translate the Pali into English, or maybe they didn't know English. Well, they did know. They don't know English. Oh. Uh, <laughs> in fact, all of it got lost in translation right from the very beginning. Mm. One of the things that I've been lucky about is, is that I have spent so many years in Thailand and so many years in Asian culture and so many years around the monks that I picked up stuff that other Westerners who have been monks would have picked up. But there's very, very few of us, while the most predominant group of teachers that are teaching Buddhism in the West have, one, never been to Asia. Number two, have never been or only been ordained for a very short period of time, like one, two, or three years. And... Uh, that when they come, then many people will get the desire uh, that, wow, this stuff is so good and it's helped me so much. I should go teach this. Mm. And then the next thought, but I got to eat. 
Well, you see, mm. in Thailand, that's never an issue because the monks are the ones who do the teaching and they're not worried about eating. They go out on Pindabai. Mm. So the Westerner, though, says, well, I've got to do two things. I've got to have a job and I've got to have Dhamma. Maybe I can squish them together and call myself a Dhamma teacher. That means that I've got to open a retreat center. And so the Dhamma teacher then becomes a um, construction engineer. <laughs> as well as a fundraiser. And then when he gets the center built, now he becomes a retreat center manager and a boss. <laughs> and he has very little or no time to be a teacher. Or if he does, that's only a second job, that his big job is to keep the center going. Mm -hmm. And so um, this is the, the, the main problem is, is that when money is involved with it, then there's competition. When there is no competition, then, or when there's no money in it, then the competition is not so big. In other words, uh, <clears throat> students are expected uh, to go from to, around to different teachers in Asia. Mm. Uh, but in the United States, it's almost like uh, various big universities. In other words, Harvard competes with Yale and Princeton. Mm -hmm. And so um, very like unlikely would be for someone to get an undergraduate degree in, in Princeton and then go to one of the other schools because they're in competition with each other. They compete at sports, they compete at all kinds of things, endowments and, and whatnot like that. And so it winds up being competitive. So the mentality is competitive, which means that now Buddhism in the West has become competitive. Like you were asking, have you heard of this teacher and have you heard of, of that teacher and, and whatnot like that? What we need is for those teachers to become friends with each other, to begin to have a Sangha, that until the teachers understand Sangha, they are not going to be able to teach Sangha to their students. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that the Sangha is the one thing that's the most important, and it's the one that's most missing. And so uh, the Western mentality is, is that I want Dhamma so that I can become Buddha. That's the end of their story. Except that the Dhamma that they have will not take them to Buddha. And that except for under only extraordinarily rare conditions, do the people in Asia have just the Dhamma. They also have other Buddhas, but the most important thing is, is that they have Sangha. It could be possible, in fact, it's quite possible for a young Thai man or a Tibetan to join the Sangha at the age of 20, never do any meditation, only does the duties that he is told to do, but he hangs out with other members of the Sangha who are nobles. And because of that, after about 10 or 20 years of being in the Sangha, getting along with the Sangha, playing according to the rules of the Sangha, etc., like that, 
without doing any formal practice, any study in the Dhamma at all, and yet he still has all of the Dhamma that he needs because he got it from the Sangha. It's the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our env- the environment that we're in is super duper important. And that's one of the reasons why meditation practice is so slow for Westerners is because they've got no support system, no support network. That that's, in fact, what we're beginning to build right now on Skype in the mm-hmm. Sangha. Mm-hmm. You see, people are really beginning to get together. They're talking about it. They're enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. They're OK. Guess what? We've got literally hundreds of meditation teachers in the United States that don't even understand Sangha because yeah. they've never been in it. They don't yeah. even know what it is. They heard it as a triple gem. They recite it as a triple gem, Buddham, Saranam, Gachami, Dhammam, Saranam, Gachami, and Sangam, Saranam, Gachami. But the Dhamma is broken, the Buddha is missing, and the Sangha is nowhere in sight. That's the problem with Western Buddhism. We need all three. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's what's missing is the Sangha. And so what can we do to get Sangha going? That's what the whole show is all about is where can what can we do to get Sangha going? How can we get, uh, let us say, that communication? An example would be a particular teacher, never mind who he is or what's going on, but he does have a weekly meditation group. And the people come for the group, they sit for 45 minutes, they have a Dhamma talk, and then as the thing breaks up, you have a couple of people talking, and then they say bye to each other, and they don't see each other until the next week. Uh, A good Dhamma teacher would have the 10 or 15 or 20 people who were in that group. He would have them to begin to build Sangha among themselves. But the teachers don't even know that. They don't understand that the teach that the students are going to learn more from each other than they are going to learn from the teacher. And if they have to learn it from the teacher, that gives the teachers way too much work to do. So here's the example of many of them. And that is, is that you've got a teacher, one big teacher, and I can name a whole lot of places where this is true. It happened with Osho. It happened with uh, Alan Watts. It happened with, uh, uh, oh, just so many of them. Adi Ashanti. Never mind about all the names that we can name. Just that you (laughs) have one dude, and then everybody is collected around him, sucking up to him. Everybody wants something from that guy, which means that when new people come, there's no room in front for them because all the other people are right in front already. Uh Yeah. So if the thing is correct, what will happen is, is that that one teacher will get all of those people in the front to start dealing with each other so that they can become good teachers, too. Yeah and have Sangha so that when new people come, they can be accommodated into the Sangha. Because there's a lot of teachers. Everybody's a teacher. And and for the Buddha, even a dog is a teacher. That's how (laughs) uh, 
one of the talks that uh, we had with uh, Dan and and Steve uh, was on lineage or who can teach the Dhamma. And one of the points that I made in there is even a dog can teach the Dhamma. Everybody's a Dhamma teacher. I don't understand what you mean by who's qualified to teach the Dhamma. Everything is Dhamma anyway. I mean, changing spark plugs can either be done with frustration or it can be done with Dhamma. That's the whole point is, is that um, uh, we want to learn from other people's mistakes. Otherwise, everyone's going to have to make all the same mistakes that everybody else makes. But if we can see other people's making mistakes, then we can learn from those mistakes. So even the guys making mistakes are your teachers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. And so this is the quality of the Sangha that we're looking for, is how can we build Sangha, which means how can we build a community of like-minded people, especially if these people have been trained in various other traditions, but they haven't gotten the full training yet. That's the problem is, is that all the Western uh, uh, Dhamma teachers, uh, with only a few exceptions, didn't get properly trained. They left too quickly to really understand what was going on. And so then they go and they want to teach. They get really enthusiastic about about teaching, but they still have to eat. So what we need is to find a way so that people who get involved with the Dhamma and want to teach, they don't have to worry about eating anymore. That in fact, there's already solutions to that. In the United States, there are approximately somewhere between 350 and 400 watts. 200 of them are Thai. Every one of these places would welcome Westerners to move in, except that there's some cultural problems. There's actually quite a number of problems. There's language problems, cultural problems, food problems that um, uh, Robert and I gave a whole Zoom talk on this. It's uh, you can actually just uh, 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 let's say uh, search for ZM in in one of our videos where uh, Robert and I talked about uh, why high watts in the United States are difficult, but not impossible. That most Westerners, they never think about going to an Asian watt to learn Buddhism. They think about going to Reddit, buying a book, doing a retreat. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing that they think about. But the real way of doing it is to go to a temple, move in. I didn't say ordain. I says move in and become part of the Sangha. Mm. That these are uh, the monks, uh, the Asian monks who are in the United States, many of them are very, very high quality. That the Asian people, when they go monk shopping in Asia, they know what they're looking for and they bring back some pretty high quality monks back to the United States. But those monks then don't know English very well. And that they're not there for your Joe Blow American. They're there for the Asian community who invited them there. 
the Asian community who built the temple and wanted a, uh, let us say, a cultural center like a Laotian or a Cambodian or a Thai cultural center. And the Wat is the best place for that because that's where you're going to find the culture. All right, so those places already exist. If a young man would move into that and stay there and become really friends and, and learn quite a lot, then he could start setting up retreats or at least a weekly class and then maybe later weekend retreats and his own things get going. The Asian community at that what will support him in his career teaching at the Wat. I've seen this happen time after time. We've actually seen it recently uh, that Robert and I, Robert, by the way, knows Thai. He lives in Thailand. He's a good friend mm. of mine. And that he knows many of the uh, of the the monks in the United States by name. And so Ro he and Robert, I have been. Robert Cohen? No, no, he's in California. No, he, uh, sorry, he's in Washington State. No, there's more than one Robert. Believe took, me. Wait, wait. The Robert with the. You do not know this Robert. Oh, OK. OK. You do not know Robert Bass. You don't know him. OK. OK. Uh, but he knows many of the um, abbots and we also have that connection. So he and I have actually been talking to some of the abbots in the United States. And we know for sure that these abbots are very, very welcoming to Westerners coming. But the Westerners don't go because of language, culture, um, things like that. And so we need an organization that is designed to get Western people who are interested in Buddhism, who are dedicated enough that they really do want to become teachers. Mm. And then get them the proper training that they do need. That um, right now, about the only schools that we know of for teacher training is done in the Western business model, where somebody's got to spend $7,000 and do, um, let us say, some some Skype training for two years. <laughs> Nothing residential. I would much rather see someone spend um, that two-year period of time by quitting their job, moving into the temple, and let our organization support them with the incidentals they need, maybe a cell phone or a computer or something small. We don't need to spend twenty or thirty thousand dollars a year or even a month for someone. We can support them easily for a hundred dollars a month or less. Yeah. Because the Asian community is providing them with the food and the um uh the shelter. So with this kind of idea in mind, we can actually begin to bring Asian ways of the Sangha into the Western culture, which is completely missing now, so that we can basically what I'm looking for ultimately is taking the money out of it. Mm -hmm. So that people don't have to spend $7,000 to get teacher training and who are they getting trained by someone who was not ever qualified for being a teacher other than decided that he was going to do that. I mean, why would you want to get a certificate, a teacher certificate from someone who does not have a teacher certificate? Mm. 
So what good is a teacher certificate? The question is not, do you have a teacher certificate and how much money it costs? The question is, can you happily share the Dhamma? Mm. That's what we're needing is, is that we're needing people who are willing to, uh, I mean, <clears throat> some people think, in fact, Steve James told me that it's kind of unique the way that I'm teaching on Skype. And yet it seems to me that all of them should be teaching that way. The answer is, well, you can't make any money that way. And the, and the, uh, uh, the, the answer to that answer is, yeah, that's right. Why are you trying to make money? <laughs> that, um, uh, that there's actually a system in Korea in the Buddhism there, whereby uh, the the Buddhists who teach cannot make any money off of their students. Huh. And so they have to find support someplace else. Hmm. An example of that, in fact, was Socrates, though he and his wife really didn't get along that well. Part of what was going on was is that he did have a home, but it was always full of students. Hmm. He let the students come and live with him. Hmm. OK, that's what we need is we need a place for people to uh, uh, to together to hang out. And we don't have that in the West. All we've got is, you know, paid vacation time. Well, that's nice. I think that's really cool that you have your attention on that. And um, that there are people that want to do that. I know Joe said he was interested. And um, that's great. That's it's a very wholesome thing. If we just had yeah. more of that in the world. We'd have more Dhamma spread overnight. <laughs> Exactly. And and so um, looking at it from uh, various perspectives of the people, one is the um, the the really, really senior elders, those who have been in the Dhamma more than 30 years and are over 70 years old. That's one group, the elders in that group. You would put Santicaro, Vila Maramsi, uh, Achan Sumedho, Achan Amaro, and a few others, not very many in that group. Then you would have the group of senior teachers that would be like um, Daniel Ingram uh, and that that group. Uh, one of the things, by the way, that I really appreciate about Dan Ingram is, is that he doesn't charge money. Mm. That's an important point. And those uh, teachers who do charge money, let's get them in Sangha so that we can figure out something so that they can stop charging money and still be happy with what's going on. Mm. So that would be the way that we would uh, look for it. So the question is, how can we get organized? Right now we have uh, I mentioned Ian before. Ian is actually, uh, we have a list of about 200 Dhamma teachers with their email addresses and we're getting a MailChimp ready to go to send out to all of them. But what we actually could use is more. A longer list of teachers that that would be some research project that someone could go into is to figure out or just to go around and say who's a Dhamma teacher here, there and the other place and put them on the list. 
that we don't have to purge that list. Oh, that guy's not good enough because of some stupid standards that we set. That if somebody claims to be a Dharma teacher, to them they're a Dharma teacher. That's good enough. He's a Dharma teacher. So now let's get all of these Dharma teachers together in Sangha so that we can start cooperating with each other rather than competing with each other. Because right now there's a huge amount of competition. How many YouTube clicks can we get? I remember. How much money can we make? You remember? I was going to say, yeah, I remember distinctly Dan telling me that early on in his practice, he felt he was in no condition to teach whatsoever. And then um, he started getting insistence from the people in his lives and encouragement to teach. And he still didn't think he was ready to teach. And then I think he mentioned that you said, Dan, you're ready to teach. And then he uh, started to. Well, no one is ready to teach when they're teaching. No one does. No one, not, not one professional musician was ready to be a musician when they started. Mm. And we have to give people back. We have to give them that learning curve. That learning mm. curve is part of their education of learning how to be a teacher. Yeah. That in fact, this is well known within the Sangha. Uh, it's actually in a sutta that there are five ways to learn the Dhamma. And the five ways of learning the Dhamma is by listening, by sharing, by practicing, by studying, and then the big one is by teaching. You will never learn the Dhamma until you can teach it. Mm. Only when you can teach the Dhamma is it really there for you. Mm. Mm. Because you do it over and over and over and over and over and over again. Mm. And it seeps in really, really deep. And so the best way to know the Dhamma <laughs> is by teaching it. Wonderful. And cool. the best way to teach it is by having Sangha, where you can teach with each other. That's exactly what is happening. I mean, you've read some of the Skype. I haven't yeah. read it all. But you can see that people are really gaining some uh, great value by just intercommunicating with each other that yeah. way. Can you imagine what the, the same thing could happen with those group, that list of 200 teachers? Mm. If they started doing that? that mm -hmm. really their quality would jump straight up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this is the way that I'm looking at it is, is that there is, there is more to be done than any one particular person can do. Mm. That it's going to take a whole community of people working together to build websites and do the, uh, the, uh, the newsletters and to do the emails and to do all of this kind of stuff. And so I'm looking for people who are, for volunteers who can put some uh, effort into it. And one of the things that we need would be for someone to expand the list of teachers. So is that like, you know, reaching out to people or, you know, yes, individually and asking them if that's something they'd be interested in? 
No, no. Actually, what we're, we we could do that in the beginning with newsletters rather than individually. That in fact, that's how we started in the first place, and it didn't work too well. And I think that what we need is we need to uh, work on getting just teachers' names and email addresses. That's what we need in the beginning. Is to just to no, get. No, I, I I know what you're saying. I mean, in expanding the list. Mm -hmm. How does one expand the list? Like I'm thinking, do I go on Skype and look at the people on Skype and think like, oh, he's been here for a while. Let's ask him. Does he want to be a teacher? And then. No, no, I wouldn't say it like that. No, I would go around. Um, there's so many guys who already have their own website up. Mm. Mm. OK, and there's other places, for instance, um, uh, that can be searched because uh, a okay. lot of the names we have already would be um, uh, students, say, of Jack Cornfield or students of Senyon. We've got quite a number of those people who have done those retreats. I, I think that, in fact, as we continue, that group of teachers that we have will be a new source of new teachers. In other words, whether you'd want to join our organization or not, maybe you know some other teachers who might want to join this organization. Now, there's so, so the email that would be going out to these teachers is a. What is it? Is it's basically marketing content of the organization, the the benefits of being an organization, what the organization looks like, or about. Mm -hmm. yes. Right, so we could have someone who can do the um, the newsletters. Uh, also, well, that's uh, that's what I do for a living. Okay, all right. So I, I write e I write emails, prospecting clients and stuff, and I have to make them catchy and you know so they respond and stuff. So maybe right. that's something so, we can talk about. Let's talk about it then, in the sense of one of the things that we are are looking at is um doing either skype or zoom calls once a week so that uh, any of the teachers from all over the place can just join this skype call and we can talk about whatever teachers want to talk about including problem students or um financial issues or how do i do this that and the other thing and then we could also have skype calls where an individual teacher would be invited to give a Dhamma talk. Mm. Now, here's the thing. Dhamma talks for an individual teacher who is just out talking to people who are kind of interested in the Dhamma is a whole different thing than you being invited to give a Dhamma talk to all of the Dhamma teachers in the US. Mm. Mm. Okay, so that means now that people are going to be really, really well prepared and do some very, very good Dhamma talks that then these Dhamma talks could be published generally, but the audience then could be the other Dhamma teachers. Now, the same thing is true about people who want to be Dhamma teachers. We would give them a forum. Also, you go teach the Dhamma. Here's your audience, and in that audience are going to be other Dhamma teachers who can critique and help you in your uh, development as a Dhamma teacher. You see, we now, don't have any of that right now. Would these teachers have the ability to, you know, like especially the ones that give Dhamma talks, 
would they have the ability, the freedom to, um, you know, post their number or their emails so other students could email them or message them? Well, that would be the whole point. This would be a message center or a, um, a communication point for people all over to go find Dhamma teachers. Mm. That's pretty cool. Okay. Uh, it would be quite an expanded version of BuddhaNet. That would be a place that you can go look to get some ideas of what's going on. But this would be greater than BuddhaNet because BuddhaNet is also like we were talking about, about the big tent that's got some red and some green and some blue. And some people go to the red part and then they grab red and they go make their own tent. It's a red tent. OK, so that's BuddhaNet. It's just one group. But um, we're looking for um, eclectic so that people who say that they're Zen or that they're Tibetan or that they're Theravada from Sri Lanka or mm. from Cambodia, it doesn't matter where they're from. That, in fact, we can learn from one another. And one of the important things that each one of those students from those various places could learn is, is that, oh, where I went to school is not the only school. Mm. Seems really neat. I think uh, I think it'd be a lot of fun to write the email. Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of the points then would be the, the the community that would gather for once a week on a Skype call, where you could have dozens of people there, share the news, all kinds of things. I couldn't believe, couldn't begin to say all the possible things that could happen on those Skype calls because of they haven't done it yet. Yeah, yeah. And so those are the various things. Number one is getting people who were really interested in teaching, get them hooked up with the Asian community and get them in too. The other one is to involve all the Dhamma teachers that are already Dhamma teachers and get them into some Sangha and maybe even getting some of them that are already saying they're Dharma teachers, but they still need some help here and there. Get them also, some of them, into the watch. Mm. Then you would have the next group of people who are on the outside um, who want to donate to help this system get going. Uh -huh. Because we want an organization that's trustable enough to where we're actually, in other words, if this donate, this donor gives this much money, let's say a thousand dollars, then he should be able to get three or four emails back saying, I really appreciate the money that came uh, from the Open Sangha Foundation because they told us that it came from you. Mm. Okay, most organizations like that, they don't do it that way. The donors don't know who gets the money. Mm. But one of the things that I know about generosity, and that is, is that the real value of the generosity is when the giver and the receiver are in Sangha together, in community together. So if you go, um, let us say that if you go to the bank and put money into the bank, the teller is there to receive your money, but the money goes into an account that's got your name on it. Now, the bank manager may be glad that your money is in the account at his bank, but the bank teller, they don't care at all. Mm. 
They care less whether you're there or not. In fact, they would rather not see you because then they don't have anything to do. Mm. Well, that's the exact way that we look at it from the organizations like, say, the Red Cross. Someone who receives donations from the Red Cross, the donate receiver person, doesn't get any of that money and doesn't give a flying rep whether the donator is making this donation or not. Mm. That's the Mm. typical problem with it that uh, real uh, generosity is on an individual basis. Hmm. So when people say in the, in America, oh, you should practice generosity by g- donating it to a church or donating it to an NCO or donating it to a charity. No, that's the absolute worst way that you should give out money. No, if you want to go donate $1,000, go give $10 to 100 people. Out on mm. the street. Mm. That's the way to donate it, is to give it to people. And so this would be the kind of way that we would deal with the donations, is, is that the donations that are given, the people who gather those donations know exactly where that money went. Mm. Mm. Because the guy who got the money is going to be sending a thank you letter. Mm. So this would be the way that we could have it as kind of a clearinghouse for donations, uh, because some people would want to date, donate, let us say, $10 to 100 different teachers, mm-hmm. rather than giving $1,000 to an organization and they don't know what happens to the money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Organizing around the donations, organizing around the teachers, organizing around the general membership so that they can locate teachers. But mostly, and the important part, and right in the beginning, is to get the Dhamma teachers that are already teaching the Dhamma in the West, to get them to knock on each other's doors, to say hello, to find Mm -hmm. out who's doing what. Maybe, in fact, that there are some Dhamma teachers that don't really have the kind of experience that they need. And so when they run across a really hard nut case, they don't know what to do. They just kind of drone around with it. But if they had contacts with some people who really did know how to handle that particular thing, then they would give them a call and say, hey, this is Dan. Dhammarato, can you handle Alex for me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right that's exactly the kind of sangha that we need so that the uh this because the students then will gather much more value by having a number of teachers who are in communication with each other did he say that is that what dan said no okay not in those words okay <laughs> i'm just giving you an example yeah yeah um so this cool. is the way that we're looking at the organization, and we've already got all the names. In fact, this is actually the second iteration. We've already gone through a whole iteration of this and learned a lot. One of the things that we learned is, is that this thing should not belong to anyone, because when somebody thinks it belongs to me, then they start making a whole lot of decisions that don't uh, uh, take consideration of the needs of other people. So uh, this is step two, or uh, the second, same song, second verse. 
And so we're uh, in the process of getting a website and getting the emails and, and all of this. We've actually got, uh, as far as organizations go, we've got already a list of 8,000. Mm. That's how many Buddhist organizations we've got. And we'll eventually be sending an email out to all of them to become affiliated with our organization. Tomorado. So yes. Can we talk about another thing? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Great. Um, so uh, when it comes to noticing unwholesome thoughts, um, sometimes what I notice now is that there's a bad feeling that arises in the seeing of the unwholesome thought, and I can still be like, ah, oh, great, congratulations. But there's mm -hmm. sometimes a like a lingering bad feeling. And basically how I've been handling this is just like, oh, that's okay. I'm that's Yeah, I'm, there's I'm, glorious dynamic. I'm again. satisfied. Every time you've seen that stuff come up, you hate it. Right. And I can just be the bad feeling might be there sometimes, right? But it's okay to just be satisfied with that too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that feeling will not last long yeah. when you're having satisfaction about it. Wow, I'm really glad that yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Because yeah. then that satisfaction, but if we hate that bad feeling, it's going to get it worse and worse. Yeah. A, a very typical example of that would be anxiety. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wanting to get rid of anxiety is really anxiety-producing. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not liking anxiety and wanting to get rid of it is a guarantee that you're going to have more of it. Why? So, Be because the not liking is a chemical. Mm, mm. It's called adrenaline. Mm. And so if you don't like something, you're going to put adrenaline in your body. Well, guess what? The feeling of anxiety is adrenaline and you don't like it in your system. And if you don't like it in your system, you're going to just make more of it because that's what the, the, the chemical is. And I mean, that's just <laughs> that's a no brainer. You can't keep. Not yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to see this anxiety. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, anxiety. I really like you because then it'll go away. Yeah, but yeah. if you hate that anxiety, it's going to stay. Yeah. Yeah. So that that bad feeling that's there it's not the bad feeling that's the problem it's the reaction to it the not liking of it that is mm -hmm. the problem right mm -hmm. and it's the not liking of it that intensifies the bad feeling but if the bad feeling is just there and i could just like oh I, that's okay i'm satisfied mm -hmm. i could be mm -hmm. satisfied without getting what i want everything is okay right like sometimes right now if i just take a, a breath a couple seconds of taking a breath, there's so much joy just right away. Satisfaction just right there. <laughs> so, yeah, I just um, wanted to make sure about that because sometimes what I'll do is I'll look at it more and I'll be like, what am I missing that that bad feeling keeps showing up? But I don't think that's the way because. Absolutely it, not. That's yeah. that's Mahasi right there. Okay. Let's go note that stuff. Let's really take it apart yeah. and look what's in there, you no, know. No, no, no. it's Duca. Throw it out. <laughs> you can just let it go. Let it dance on its own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, so can we talk about Paticca Samapada? 
Well, we have been just talking about it. That's the whole point. Everything is Patita Samupada. That's I, it right there. I mean, from the last time we talked about it, I don't remember where we left off, but we were, well, you, you said like, we'll continue. a lot of the holes in it, yes. Yeah. But let's, let's do that at another time because we've already had quite a lot of time on this call. Uh, and so okay. we can we can pick it up in a more formal way, but understand that there's a the there is a formal way of teaching it. But really, when we when we understand it from the formal method of teaching it, that means that at any particular moment we can apply it right then and there to what's happening right then and there. An example that we just talked about was when anxiety is there, we don't like it. Mm -hmm. That goes in the grasping and the clinging, which winds up in us into the pit of anxiety. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if we are wise at the point of contact where that anxiety manifests itself and we don't like it, with wisdom we can say, oh, well, I don't like that anxiety, let's do the wise thing by taking a few deep breaths and never mind, everything is okay. So we're mm -hmm. beginning to change our feelings right then or change the way that we feel about it. Or it could also be in, in feeling satisfied by seeing it too, right? Mm -hmm. That can be the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Acknowledging thing. that as a success as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I, I just... The only reason why I asked is because I know for like the, the majority of our call, we talked about Sangha and monks and, you know, what you want to do with the organization and stuff. And uh, a couple times I just dropped what I wanted. I was like, oh, that's OK. I can be satisfied without getting what I wanted. And I saw that it was like a joy for you to share it, too. It, and I know this these are win-win talks, right? So mm -hmm. I didn't want... um you've given a lot of your time and a lot of uh, you've entertained a lot of my questions. So I thought it would be generous of me to not interrupt you and just Yes, share. thank you. And it would be generous of you to uh, spend some time. And not only that, but it's all, here's another point. And that is, is that when people do volunteer for work, they get more benefit out of the work that you're doing than the amount that they put into it. <laughs> this is so funny. This is what we used to tell people at Landmark. Have you ever heard of mm -hmm. Landmark? I've heard of land, some Landmarks. There's more than one Landmark, so I don't know what you mean by Landmark. The, the company, Landmark Worldwide. Well, I, <laughs> my mother used to work for a company called Landmark, but I doubt it's the same one. I don't know. That it was, was a, a that was a financial organization. Okay. okay, yeah, no, this is like a a personal growth, personal growth and development um, courses is what they do, and everything was basically uh, compiled from the teachings of Buddhism, um, uh, Kierkegaard philosophies, Freud, things like that, and they took a course and they. Uh, created this course based on those fundamental teachings and made it digestible in a way that people could. And then get. they wanted people to volunteer for it. Yes. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. They wanted people. And well, it was actually very rewarding to mm -hmm. do that at, at times. Well, an example would be Ian, who is doing the, uh, um, the timestamps. 
Mm. He's getting enormous value out of it because he's doing the timestamps. He says, well, now I've got a reason to listen to all of these videos. And so he's yeah. getting the benefit of listening to the videos. Yeah, he's listening so, to Dama on repeat. <laughs> uh -huh. So if someone, in fact, would be the, the – let us say that someone was designated as a volunteer to be the teacher coordinator. That particular person will then know a lot of teachers individually. That's a great uh, value to have is to know all of these various teachers. Okay. So someone who wants to go celebrity hopping, that would be a place to volunteer is to be the teacher's coordinator. So um, other things like that, uh, to be involved with the Dhamma and involved with the Sangha so that people are going to be gaining benefit from one another for it. So that volunteer ha quality has enormous benefit for it. And so if you did some volunteer work and did the um, uh, the newsletters, in fact, I can put you together with Ian and that you and he can start working on putting uh, an opening newsletter, an announcement, a, you know, a, a hello world newsletter. Mm. Mm. Okay. Okay. I I want to be honest. Like I'm interested in doing this, but there's there is some hesitation too, and I I sure. don't I don't really know what it's about. But mm. well, don't worry about it then. Forget about it. Yeah. Forget about the hesitation. Don't go up here and slice it up and say, "Where's that hesitation? I gotta find it." No. Right. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I just what I'm saying is I don't know for sure if I want to do that. Um, but I well then you can quit after you do it a little bit. You can do it a little, you know. That's the whole point is is that there's no commitments. Okay. Only joy, getting benefit out of it. And so okay. you could do one newsletter or two newsletters and then no more. Okay. All okay. right. I'll try it out for sure. Right. I don't want anybody to work too hard. Yeah, I know. <laughs> because anybody who works too hard at it is going to think they own it. Yeah. They're going to become a boss, right? And so we don't want that. We want a whole bunch of people in Sangha that are working together. That, in fact, even my job would be coordinator. I can hand that job off to someone else to let someone else be the coordinator. Mm -hmm. And I can just sit back and Watch the show. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about Sangha. We'll put this post up and people can gain some uh, ideas about how they can they can volunteer. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Alex. Well, we'll see you later. All right. We'll see you later. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye.